Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, listeners, and welcome to the latest installment of MBM's M&A Snack and Chat podcast. I'm Brian Shaw, corporate partner in MBM's London office, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Caroline Urban. Hi, Caroline. Hello, everyone. Caroline, could you remind our listeners about what they can expect to hear on the show? Yeah, sure. So in each episode, we will catch up with current and former clients whom we've helped buy and sell businesses and other specialists in the M&A field who can share their insights and provide our listeners with hints and tips on the M&A process. The idea is that it's a short 15 to 20 minute podcast that's fun and informative that you can listen to on the go or whilst you're sipping your morning tea or munching on your afternoon snack. Speaking of which... As it's pancake day today, I thought I would tuck into a small stack of pancakes as my snack. Brian, what have you got? Well, well, I'm not snacking on pancakes, something similar. It's called a crumpet, be a, an English thing, a crumpet. Yes, but definitely. But I'm having Vegemite on my crumpet. That, that is my Aussie snack of the day. Right, we've talked enough about snacks. Let's get on with the show. We are joined today by Justin Gaynor entrepreneur and investor we recently advised on the sale of his popular history hit podcast business to Little Dot Studios, part of the All3 Media Group. It's not the first time that Justin has built and sold a business, and I very much look forward into getting into the detail of your experience. So Justin, thank you so much for your time and welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Justin, now before we begin, um, uh, what are you snacking on today? Well, I'm afraid to say that I haven't gone um, for the pancake, nor, nor the crumpet, which is definitely uh, a, a British snack. So well done for immersing yourself in our culture. I've gone for the uber-British Melton Mowbray pork pie. Um, it's, uh, it's probably not the lightest of afternoon snacks to get involved with, but I had, a, I had an absolute craving one. So, so there we go. It's, it's appropriate that, we, that you have snacks as a theme, by the way, specifically um, with regards to my background, because... One of the things that launched my career was a, a show that I used to do on YouTube called Piggy Piggy Snack Snacks. YouTube, when it started 10 years ago, uh, there was no money on it. It was just a kind of blank canvas to experiment with creative ideas. And I was working in television at the time. I thought, well, what do I like most in life? And an afternoon snack, appropriately, given this conversation, was one of them. So I started a YouTube channel where I reviewed snacks from around the world and my viewers would send me in uh, snacks from a, their country and I'd get a chance to review them. Um, this feels like a second home to me already. Well, that's brilliant. And that kind of points us uh, straight away perfectly to, to the first question, which you've already alluded on a little bit. But can you tell us about the Justin Gaynor journey? So where did it all begin and how did you end up in, in media and how did you set up both of your businesses? Well, I think like most people, my career is a series of mistakes and happy accidents. There was never a strategy and you couldn't have uh, created a strategy for a CV that is as disastrous as mine. To cut a long story short, there were a series of, of failed ventures and dead ends, including in no particular order, a door-to-door -door salesman, a creator and marketeer of an adult board game called Nookie. I was in recruitment, executive search for oil and gas. I worked for an internet agency. I worked in a wine shop and I tried to become a chef as well. And all of those things, I was uh, a failure, uh, abysmal failure at. The lowest point of that career 
was when I was working in the said wine shop. It was called Odd Bins. It doesn't exist anymore, mm. sadly. And um, there was a particular master that taught me at my school that told me I would always come to nothing. I was a bit of a no-hoper. And uh, it was really kind of my life's motivation in some ways to prove him wrong. So imagine my disappointment when age 26, uh, I was working in Aubyn's. And at that moment, I was um, taking a look at some of the, um, the half drunk wines we'd use in the tasting. And by having a look, what I really mean is tasting them myself. <laughs> and at which point uh, the, the door of my Aubyn's opened and that particular master from school walked in <laughs> I was necking a, a half bottle of red wine. <laughs> So, so that was definitely, in terms of um, moments of, of of disgrace and embarrassment, as low as it gets. And I, I, but it also gave me the epiphany that really, in order to enjoy your career, and let's be honest, careers equals work, and and a lot of work isn't fun. Uh, however, however much you're kind of passionate about the outlying areas of your work, there is still some drudgery. Uh, but my epiphany was that really to 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 to, to enjoy something you had to be kind of quite good at it. And so after the Obbind wine experience, I decided to kind of go back to my first love, which was writing. And, and I retrained as a journalist. And I, I basically became a, a gossip columnist for the Daily Telegraph and for the Daily Mail for my sins, mm. uh, from where I graduated from gossip columnist to a kind of wacky feature writer uh, where I would do things like dress up as a woman for a day, transform from... <laughs> Justin to Justine and report what that experience was like. And that really kind of was my, my baptism of fire into the world of media, which is kind of where I've remained ever since. I'm 43 now, so I have actually had something of a career in media. So it was journalism. I then went to go and make a wonderful TV show called QI and was mentored by a wonderful man called John Lloyd, who produced Blackadder and Spitting Image, not Nine O'Clock News. And he, he basically remains my mentor to this day and gave me the, the confidence to follow my dreams and my passions. And that really was, was on, on online video, video on demand. So what happened is that, is that YouTube started around 10, 11 years ago, just whilst I was working as a producer with John on QI, we were trying to get new shows commissioned on terrestrial TV channels. And we struggled because the market for television, comedy is actually surprisingly small. So there's this new thing called YouTube was popping up that gave you the freedom, anyone, the freedom to make their own content. Piggy Piggy Snack Snack started. I built quite a decent audience of about 65,000 fans, but I also built an audience of people that thought what I was doing was quite frankly shit. I got a huge amount of online abuse. Um, and so having learned to kind of career pivot um, I thought I need to pivot again. This is not a career. My parents are like, really ashamed of me. And, and that's coming from a man that had dressed up as a woman on the centerfold of the Daily Mail, right? <laughs> so um, I'd, I'd started from a pretty low base. But, and what I saw was that there was this whole generation of incredible uh, native internet uh, youths, that makes me sound so old, younger people than I, uh, who were genuinely talented, had really great engagement with their audiences, had built huge subscriber uh subscriber lists on their youtube channels of you know one two three million followers and i thought you know what if i can't make it in this environment um at least i can help other people uh succeed and, and use my tv production experience 
to take these kids who are shooting videos from their bedrooms and elevate them into a sellable, marketable proposition. And to cut a long story short, I built a business that had uh, 200, 300 YouTube channels with some of the biggest household names uh, in, in the YouTube environment, but also took famous brands and celebrities off television and, and, and built them YouTube careers. So I worked with people like Ricky Gervais, James Corden, Harry Hill, Richard Hammond from Top Gear. But my biggest star and, and the person to whom I owe everything um, is a small cartoon pig called Peppa Pig. And uh, what happened was, is that we were looking for intellectual property that had died, had finished its life cycle on, on TV and, and looked to re give it a new lease of life on, online. And we convinced the owners of Peppa Pig uh, E1 Entertainment that they had this great uh, unrealized potential with this cartoon pig. It had stopped running on TV and that we felt that we could give it a real push um, and give it a new lease of life. And, and thankfully they agreed. And um, since then, Peppa Pig has now become a $2 billion global brand. In its first month on YouTube, it was generating $15 million worth of advertising. Um, so that business, which was called Channel Flip, we built it, a friend of mine and I, we built it from our bedrooms to a media powerhouse around youth entertainment. And, and we ended up selling it to, uh, to the Murdoch family, News Corporation. So that was my first experience of building a company and exiting it. From then on in, I've, I've remained interested in online video and uh, online media startup businesses. And so my second business was, uh, was an online TV channel called History Hit, which essentially is like a Netflix for history. That was an experiment in can I get people to pay money to subscribe to video? I thought, let's try and see if we can just get consumers directly to give us cash for a thing they like. So I teamed up with a BBC historian called Dan Snow, who'd built himself a nice online following. And, and we went out and built uh, a, a wonderful portfolio of films and documentaries and podcasts around history. And uh, we did that uh, pretty aggressively over a three, three, four year time period. And as, as Caroline said, um, we, we then sold that to uh, to Little Dot Studios, who are part of all three media, who are part of Liberty Global, which is uh, also owns Discovery Channel. So mm. I feel very blessed to have exited to such uh, prestigious uh, and well thought of media organizations. And I think, uh, I think I'm lucky. I, I look back to the to Piggy Piggy Snack Snacks and to being caught drinking wine by Mr. Thackeray <laughs> in the odd bins. And uh, I think I've got away with it, but I will be found out one day. Very interesting. It just shows to the listeners, you're not pigeonholed into one career. You know, careers can start and stop. You never know where the journey will take you. Bringing it back to history hit, things were going well and, and, and membership were, was increasing. You know, what, what made you and, and, and Dan and, and the other shareholders decide to sell? That's a, it's a great question. When do you know to, to sell? Um, why, why did we decide to sell it? Well, I think fundamentally we had reached a point with the business where we either needed to raise a substantial amount of investment to build the business globally, or we needed to find a strategic partner that could help us do that. All Three Media Group and Little Dot gave, gave both of those um, options to us, both money and strategic resource. They have a great team. They really understood the business. And so it just made a great deal of sense to, uh, to work with a strategic partner rather than just a, a venture capital firm. So it felt right, you know, some you can't overthink these things. It, 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 you gotta go with your gut.
what would you say was the, the biggest challenge of the sale, even from a, a sort of managerial perspective? Because of course you always, you know, you've got to talk to your employees, you have to make the team comfortable with the change, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, well, the first thing I say is that we're a very, very small company and most businesses um, when, they're, when they're selling would have, uh, especially from a CEO perspective, they would have a, a right-hand man or a left-hand woman that would support them through a sales process. So the first thing that was very challenging, we were a small team, like eight, nine, 10 people. And, and I had to personally do all the heavy lifting of, of running the process, doing the legal work with, with you guys negotiating with the buyers and managing you know the business at the same time so that's observation one is nothing can prepare you for the amount of work that is required when you go through a transaction with a a, a corporate uh, a bigger entity that really knows what they're doing and, and they did you know they point two is is that we 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 had the deal done and it was due to be done in in december two years ago and then covid hit and they they basically understandably paused paused the deal but we were one week away from signing it and not only were we one week away from signing it but our 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 employees had moved into their offices so it was a bizarre situation i had lost my team they were then being managed at that point by the buyer they were then reporting to the buyer so i had in trust assumed that this deal was going to happen through no fault of the owner of the buyer a pandemic arises and they then have to go back to their board to negotiate with them to try and conclude the deal. Basically, a small company ends up in corporate vortex would be the headline news. So those were just some of the issues that we had to go through, but I'm very pleased to mm. report that with the expert guidance <laughs> of MBM and the patience and psychological counseling um, that I received, um, we, we got there in the end. I think everyone was delighted with that. The only sadness, and I think this was, you know, something that, um, that, that is a very sad postscript to all of this, is that the CEO of Little Dot, um, a wonderful man called, called Andy Taylor, a visionary and a, a great entrepreneur in his own right, had been pretty ill during our process. And, and very sadly, he died in December. So shortly after the business got bought. And I just wanted to say, you know, in memory of, of Andy, I, I've never met such a, a, a kind man all throughout the process of, of being ill. He, he made sure that we were being looked after and that, uh, that Dan was uh, being nurtured and that I was um, being communicated to clearly. Um, the reason I mention that is that, it, that, that even in adversity, you will always remember and I will always remember somebody that went above and beyond even though he was in very poor health. So I kind of want to dedicate, the, you know, this podcast, this deal to, to the memory of Andy Taylor. So thank you, Andy, for, for everything you did for us and you will be greatly missed. That's very kind. Those are very mm. nice words. It's such an emotional process and it's nice to know that you're giving everything you've built up into a, a pair of hands that you, that you respect and who treated you nicely throughout the process. They're a very, very good bunch of, of buyers and it makes such a difference. Small attention to detail can make a, a, a really big difference. So if you're, you know, ever on the buying or selling end, it is, it's, it, it should be seen as a beginning of a relationship in an ideal world. Even if you're walking away from the business, you're going to go through a lot of different conversations with each other. You're going to get very close and understand, you know, understand a lot about the buyers or the sellers. 
And those are relationships that are valuable. So if you can maintain them, you've built new friends, hopefully, and uh, industry partners and colleagues that will have, that you never know, you might do business with them again. So yeah, happy, happy memories. What advice would you give to our listeners who are considering selling their business? Somebody gave me a very good bit of advice when I was considering selling Channel Flip, which is you might never be in the position again to start a business and sell it in that it's quite unusual for people to do it um, a, a multiple time. And also you get lucky, right, uh, to, to have a successful business. 90% of businesses don't ever get past a million of revenue. I, it's difficult. It's really difficult. So I would say, like, one of the main reasons people sell is because they've just got worn out or they've burned out and they think the only other option is to sell it. And I would say that in that situation, if that is your motivation for selling, see if you can find a, a CEO to, to run the business uh, and take it forward with you then acting as a chairman or ex exec chairman but much more of a backseat role because you probably only are going to get one or two exits in your life, three maximum. And, um, and therefore there is an argument to say that you're going to build a much more valuable thing over a, lot, a much longer period of time than, than selling it. So, yeah, I, I just think you need, to, you need to think about it really carefully and think about whether you can replace yourself because had I kept hold of Channel Flip, arguably it'd be worth 20 times for what I've sold it. But I just knew at that time I wasn't capable of personally building it to 20X because I'd, I'd, I'd had enough. I was burnt out by that point. That's really good advice. Um, can you tell us what you're working on now? Are you working on the next business to be sold? Yeah, well, funny, weird, funny enough, now that I've kind of just told you that, I, when I, my new business ideas that I'm looking at, um, the one thing I, I don't think about at all is exit. In fact, part of my thought processes are what is a business that I want to start now that I would happily never sell just because I love it so much that the exit thing is, is sort of immaterial. I've got a bunch of ideas and I'm doing a lot of angel investing as well, supporting younger entrepreneurs who've got interesting ideas. I'm actually looking at like which businesses have got the potential for long-term growth, sustainable growth, and they're not just like kind of quite faddy and are selling themselves to investors based on the fact that they've got the you know, the letters AI or deep learning or <laughs> algorithm or um, fintech. Um, so yeah, I, that, that, that's where I'm at is a little bit of investing, um, looking at and testing out a few ideas I've got across a bunch of industries. So a bit of media stuff, but I'm looking at some stuff around the luxury market. I'm having a look at stuff around video and e-commerce, which I kind of find interesting. You know, what is the future of QVC in the modern internet? Like there's a really big, like, like live shopping is a really big deal in China. It's a multi, multi-billion dollar industry right now. And yet we're not seeing much of that in, in Europe. So that's kind of a space that interests me as well. So I might be starting a shopping channel. Well, we'll watch mm. the space. That's Maybe. exciting. Who knows? Touch word. I think that's probably all we've got time for. Mm. So Justin, thank you so, so much for coming on the show with us. But just before we end the podcast, we'll give a couple of minutes or one minute exactly to our rapid fire round. Ooh. So Justin, you have 60 seconds to answer as many questions as you can in that time. 
in one word or phrase only. On your mark, get set. What was your first job? Door-to-door salesman. What is your favourite holiday destination? Thailand. If you were having a dinner party with three guests, alive, dead or fictional, who would you invite and why? Uh, Jesus, just to find out whether he did rise from the dead. Elvis Presley, because I'm a a big fan. And Stephen Hawking. Favourite movie? Jaws. What are you currently reading? Uh, My iPhone, way too much. If Richard Branson sat next to you on a flight, what would be your first question other than, are you Richard Branson? Can I come and stay with you at NECA? And finally, if you could travel back in time to meet your 10-year-old self, what advice would you give him? Don't smoke. 10-year-old, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Justin, thank you so much for participating in MBM's M&A Snack and Chat podcast. So that's it for today. So thank you again, Justin, for joining us. Please join us next time when Caroline and I will be joined by another special guest where we will chat and snack all things M&A. Goodbye. Goodbye.